fellow grievers. Today, you've reached Season 2, Episode 8 of the Leftover Pieces Suicide Loss Conversations podcast. And today, you've found one of my many solo episodes where I go down the rabbit hole and discuss a topic that's either near and dear to my heart, that I know well, that I want to educate you on, or that I'm simply thinking about. So a few weeks ago, my husband and I were having a discussion, and I brought up something that I've been dealing with since the loss of Alex almost five years ago. So it's not a new topic to me, but it's one that's a recurring theme. And while I have handled it differently as the years have gone by, I must have felt a need to revisit it with him. And then since then, there have been a couple of you that have reached out to me in messages that have brought it up or something similar to it. So I thought it might be a good time to talk about it. And what I'm talking about is specifically interacting with people now that we've had a loss to suicide and specifically child loss to suicide, how we've become, quote, that person, unquote, in a circle or in a room how we've kind of become, well, not kind of, how we've become the whispered about person. And by that, I think you know what I mean. We're in a circle of friends, and even before we make it across the room, we see the look sometimes. We know that we're either being avoided or that people are bracing themselves for what they're going to say to us when they see us. They're undoubtedly whispering about us when we leave the room. And the things that they say to us are often things that create an extra level of stress. I even told him it was often like, I go into a situation and I immediately start to put on like my layers of armor before I even enter the room. Like I just know. And I say this and it's not like, Well, we were talking about this again the other day when I told him I was going to talk about this on my podcast. And here's a good example. I mean, he said to me, Melissa, it's not always bad, is it? Sometimes, isn't it a good thing? And he used an example of if we were still back in Kansas City and we were at one of our dear friend's homes and we were going to maybe attend a dinner party there how this person cares enough about me that before we arrived, if the dinner party was mixed company that maybe didn't know me very well or hadn't met me before, how this friend might say something to her other friends ahead of time to prepare them for the fact that I had lost my child and that I had lost my child by suicide so that the conversations didn't go in a place that would be not sensitive to me or activating to me. And I appreciated and understood his point of view and appreciated it from the fact that he's right, that it's, it's nice when people care about you enough that they think about these kind of things. But then I stepped into a space and said to him, but it's still not good. It's still something that I have to now live with period. And I have to live with it because I lost my child to suicide. And therefore, 
I'm never going to, on some level, not be that person in a crowd. And then he kind of thought about it a little bit and said, I guess you're right. It's not like that same friend would ever lead by saying, oh, and by the way, my friend Melissa's coming and she lost her dad to cancer. So don't bring up cancer or dads. That's not really something that somebody would prepare somebody for. They prepare them for this because this lives in a different space. And so what I told my husband was there's really no way to completely separate yourself from this. So where does that leave us? Well, in the beginning, it often leaves us more devastated and probably in some ways coping worse. And then it creates an isolation that's even greater than the isolation we feel in the middle of a room of people. We create real isolation. We just avoid being in situations where these questions will come up or these looks will happen. And we just tend to pull away altogether. And what I'm going to do is talk a little bit to you about how this can evolve, how even though some parts of this are just what it is, how we can learn to cope and heal better ourselves and put in place tools that will ultimately help us heal to the point that the effects of us on the, of this type of behavior is going to be less because that's the real situation that I feel like has to be dealt with. We can't ever erase the fact that we've lost our child to suicide, but we can learn to heal on a level that we cope with our anxiety better that we heal and learn to live on a different level vibrationally to where the effect that it has on our body and our mind is something that we do have control over and we do make a choice about. Now, I want you to keep in mind that when I have these rabbit hole discussions, this is exactly what they are. Just thoughts of mine. Some of them are thoughts based on my experience and some of them are thoughts based on my learnings and my education, but they're just thoughts of mine. And like everything that I discuss here, please take what applies to you and feel free to leave the rest. And I know I've talked about this before, but a huge trauma such as what we are living through and living with causes us to make great shifts, most of which we don't like and didn't ask for, obviously, but it's caused us to shift regardless We change, so our friendships change, our social needs change, and actually embracing this takes time because in the beginning, we're spending a lot of time thinking that we're somehow going to fit back into everything exactly the way it was before, or that over time, these things will be all okay again. And the reality is, is things will be okay, but they still may be different. So You just have to allow for that space as it naturally happens. And I will tell you that often this appears for us to be isolating or not coping and healing to people on the outside. But I'm going to beg to differ 
for me, at least now, so much of this is me responding intentionally with a natural effect to a cause that I had no control over. So let's think about that a little bit now. I'm intentionally responding at this point to how I perceive my friendships or letting go of friendships that no longer serve me or not engaging in social activities that no longer serve me. And I even brought that up in this discussion I had with my husband the other day where I told him that now at the point that I am, I have embraced the place that I'm at, meaning I don't necessarily like it, but I've embraced the change. I'm finding my place and I'm finding my pace in life. And I found that I feel like I now vibrate at a different energy than I used to vibrate at. And for me, that feels for my, my soul, like I'm vibrating at a higher energy. And therefore, I have found places to exist, meaning social circles, interests, friends, some of which are the same and some are not, that vibrate at that same place for me. And really, at first, that sounds kind of like high and mighty, and it's not. What it simply means is that I'm vibrating at a different frequency than I did before. And so your world has to align with that if you're going to be in a balanced and well space. And because there are so many parts of this trauma, of this loss that we will always have with us, that we are learning to live successfully alongside of, that is isolating. That's another reason why finding community that understands and a community where you have a safe place for your heart and your loss is important in combating that isolation. So now I want to step sideways just a little bit and talk about the healing that can occur and how we can then learn to handle and cope with these situations in a better manner for ourselves and ultimately a better manner for everybody we interact with, right? When it comes to trauma healing, there's a really common two option approach to trauma healing. One is a bottom up approach and the other is a top down approach. And in the top down approach, it's about engaging our own mind in order to change our brain. So think about more cognitive, traditional talk therapy. So I won't waste any time on that. Because as far as you all know, I'm concerned, that doesn't have much of a place in my long term healing journey for me. I won't say that there isn't a place for talk therapy, especially early on. But in my true trauma healing journey, for me, it really doesn't have much of a place. The second approach is a bottom up approach. And that is where I reside, which is where you engage your body in order to change your mind, which involves things like breathing, muscle relaxation, certain types of yoga, some meditations, movement, and sensory therapy. So this this is where I live. There's even a, a third school of thought, and I'll put a link to a good description of this in the show notes. But the third school of thought is, is kind of a, a approach from that one also, that is like a side door approach. So you have a top down, a bottom up, and a side door approach. And that side door approach 
has a lot of these same modalities and appeals to me a lot. So that's where, for the sake of the next few minutes, I'm going to come at you from is a bottom up approach that engages your vagus nerve and all the things that I won't get technical on here, but things that are extremely healing from our trauma standpoint. And what I want to do in the last five minutes of our discussion here is give you a couple of exercises that you can do. And, you know, I will actually make a note in the show notes of the timestamp that I start describing this so that you can come back to this if you want to practice this method, because I'm going to give you two methods of breathing that can actually help you not only long term, if you do them daily, for like five minutes, we're talking like five minutes a day. So it could be in the morning or in the evening, the long term effects can be huge. But the short term effects of just something that you can do in five to six minutes, even if you just took yourself to a bathroom, in an event that you needed to kind of reset yourself, center yourself in, and then go back and join because there's times that we can't leave. I understand that there's times that we're at family functions, that in the middle of it, we inside feel like we just need a reset. And this tool, I believe you can employ in the moment if you just take five minutes to, to separate yourself and then go back in and feel a little more centered. But it also has that long-term implication of employing it daily. And it's one of the many tools that I plan to employ in my coaching to help people find these tools within themselves to heal and live a well-balanced mind-body healing journey. So the first one that I'm going to talk about. And again, I'll timestamp this right at the 14 minute mark in the show notes. The first one I'm going to talk about is the five count breath approach. And then the second one I'll talk about is a balanced brain breath approach. And they're just two breathing techniques that can be done separately or together to help you do a few things. They'll help you address stress, It'll help you address an emotional awareness and self-regulation response in your brain. It will also help you with concentration and attention, which when we get that foggy feeling, once we go into stress overload, and it helps with PTSD symptoms as well. So there's a lot of this in there that's really helpful. I'm going to also tell you that the first method the five count breath method is extremely beneficial long term to not only stress and anxiety, but can help lower your blood pressure, can help reduce inflammation and reduce intrusive memories, which that's huge. The second one, the long term effects of doing this one daily or on a regular basis helps you with things like creating a good balance between both sides of your brain. They also can help improve your concentration and reduce inflammation and also can really promote increased relaxation. So you see how these two breath techniques are really powerful. So here's the first one. The five count breath technique involves an inhale, a hold and an exhale. And I want you, before you even start, to realize that you're going to be, in your mind, drawing an upside-down triangle 
as you inhale, as you hold, and as you exhale. And it's really that simple. You're going to start by centering yourself and you don't have to be in a lying down position. The reason I chose these breath techniques for today is because you could go to a bathroom in the middle of a party or social situation that you are in, find a place to either stand comfortably, sit on the edge of a tub or close the lid and sit on the stool and take a few breaths, close your eyes, and then you're going to do five counts on each of these. You're going to inhale to the count of five, hold it to the count of five, exhale to the count of five. As you're doing this, you're going to see yourself inhaling and drawing the line across the top of the triangle. At holding it as you draw a line down to the point and exhaling as you draw up to the triangle. So you're seeing an inverted triangle in your mind. There's a healing geometry science that goes along with the triangle. And do this for three to five minutes. So you're going to take a five second inhale. Hold one, two, three, four, five. Exhale, one, two, three, four, five. And you're going to do that for, like I said, three to five minutes. Now, the next one can be done alone or it can go along with this. And by saying that it could be done alone, you're still going to employ, be employing a similar five to seven second inhale hold and exhale pattern, but you don't necessarily have to use the triangle in your mind for this method. I do because I just like the combination of these two and I feel like they work together really well. And by the way, both of these are diaphragm breathing exercises. So you're not going to breathe from your belly or shallow from your throat. You're going to breathe from your center diaphragm and pull that power up. The difference in these two is after you've maybe done two or three of the five second hold, inhale, hold, exhale patterns, you're going to add where you actually, so bring your right hand to your face right near your nose and you'll pinch with your thumb, your right nostril as you inhale, as you hold, and then you'll exhale through your left nostril. And you may have to do it on one side for a few breaths to get the rhythm down. But then once you are at the inhale, hold, exhale, after you exhale, before you inhale again, you release that right nostril and just use your right index finger to delicately pinch off your left nostril. And then you'll be doing it on the other side. So then you'll be doing an inhale through your right nostril, hold, exhale through that right nostril, switch. Inhale, hold, exhale, switch. And do that for three to five minutes. So what I'm suggesting is until you're more comfortable with the method, probably the first one is better. But the second one, once you learn to integrate it, there's something about how it stimulates that part of your brain that if you can just get that five minutes in the bathroom and then 
find yourself centered again, the breathing will do wonders for how your brain is responding to the stressors and um, trauma triggers that we have as suicide loss survivors. So for today, this is probably a really good stopping space. And this is just one small tool that I wanted to offer in response to a situation or situations that I know we find ourselves in a lot. And I found myself thinking, how can I talk about it without offering a tool that will help us not only cope in this short term and while we're in the situation, but will help us over the long term be one of the tools in our arsenal to heal as we reconnect to our own center, discover our new self, and rebuild our shattered life from the leftover pieces around us. Talk soon.